This is Giles Martin, and you're listening for Fab Four Free For All. Welcome to another edition of the Fab Four Free For All. I am your moderator for this exciting episode, Mitch Axelrod, and joining me, uh, as he always does, unfortunately, I'm just kidding. Hey, 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 uh, hey. Rob Leonard, how you doing, Rob? That's me. How you doing, Mitch? I'm all right. Now, you may notice Tony's not here, but we are a foursome, and we are extremely chuffed, excited, uh, tickled pink, as you can see by my shirt. How'd they come on our show, man? I mean, you know, these guys are famous. They are very famous. Um, they've sold 20 million albums. Rob, how many of you and I sold? Uh, I think two. Okay, to that's 20 million more than us. <laughs> uh, but individually, they are Graham Russell and Russell Hitchcock, collectively, they are a legendary band, Air Supply. So welcome to the Fab Four Free For All, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Nice to be here. Lovely to be here, yeah. Uh, it is so lovely to be speaking with you guys. I, so much history. Um, now, people may be asking our fans, and your fans hopefully will be watching and listening as well, may be saying, what is Air Supply doing on a Beatles podcast? And rumor has it that you guys are pretty big Beatles fans, huh? <laughs> oh yeah go ahead obsessed, obsessed. Well, yeah. teenager yeah well uh, let's let's start there if you don't mind graham you're you were born in 1950 in nottingham and mm -hmm. russell you were born in 49 in melbourne two places where the beatles have had obviously a lot of experiences especially melbourne um let's start with you graham because i know you had i've seen a couple of videos of you talking about listening to the beatles on, on the bbc yeah, I, I used to listen to, they had a show called Pop Go the Beatles that I, I think it was on a Tuesday at five o'clock. It was. Um, so I, yeah, so I used to dash home from school to listen to it. And this was in the early days for them. It was early 64. And our, and they had uh, Love Me Do was out and Please Please Me was had just come out. And I was just uh captivated by the sound and and i know it was in the studio and it was live in the bbc uh but it was just so raw and powerful and there was just four of them you know and it's not that it was loud or anything it was just complete and just a, a that sound that liverpool sound that had that power to it you know it's it was just raw and exciting and i remember I just became captivated by it and I couldn't get enough. It was something I'd never heard before. But I was only, you know, I was 14 years old, so I was very impressionable. But I was being impressed by the greatest band that would ever exist, you know. So it was yeah. great. <laughs> and did you, did you, could it, was it easy to differentiate them from the other bands of the day, especially in 64? I did, because at that point, I just started to listen. You know, my sisters would listen to Elvis and Paul Anker and a lot of orchestral stuff, which I liked. I loved Elvis yeah, of course. Uh, and, and Little Richard. But when I, the Beatles was something different because the songs were so great. Um, it, they were their songs. And I thought, oh, my, that's, that's fantastic. And it was just a different league for me. And it was obviously meant to be but they at that point they were such a massive part of the beginning of my career and what I was thinking uh, that uh, without that 
without them at that point, I certainly wouldn't be here today. You know, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But uh, I was just completely obsessed, like Russell said, with them, you know, totally. It was just ridiculous, really. But, you know. Yeah. And Russell, how about you? Because you were in in Australia at the time and you saw them in 64, if I'm not mistaken, live. Yep. Where, where did you see them? Did you see them in Melbourne? Yes, a, a very famous uh, venue called Festival Hall. Yeah, it was. It was a actually a, looked like a barn, and uh, it wasn't meant for music, that's for sure. <laughs> but um, my cousin bought me tickets. Uh, bought me a ticket for my birthday. Wow. So we both, and I think it was June the eighteenth. I went, or very close to oh. my birthday anyway. So, wow. uh, but I, I, a school pal of mine that I used to sit next to in high school brought in a forty-five. Of uh, she loves you, <clears throat> and I'd never heard, I hadn't heard them yet, and uh, he said you got to listen to this; it's incredible. So that sparked me instantly, and uh, of course, when I saw them, I couldn't hear that much, of course, but uh, you know, I'm always it's one of my bragging uh, uh, points. You know, I, I got to see the Beatles, and you didn't. Eh. <laughs> I yeah. certainly did. Graham's the only other person I know that that saw the Beatles live. But um, you know, just the whole thing about them. I mean, that, the the way they dress. You know, obviously, I'm going through the stuff everybody says. The haircuts. Yeah. Um, you know, the way they spoke. Uh, just they they affected uh, pop culture and and you know, culture culture from from the minute they uh, they became famous. And uh, I've been, you know, when I was in uh, at home, I had my bedroom wall covered in. Beatles posters and photos, and I subscribed to their Beatles monthly magazine. I mean, anything that had Beatles on it, I wanted. You know, wow. Mm. You were you were in Melbourne, and they when they came over, Ringo wasn't with them originally. Now right. they they did two shows with Jimmy Nickel. I can imagine a lot of people in 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 Australia saying, "I saw the Beatles," and then you know when you say, yeah. "When did you see them?" Well, you saw three fourths <clears> of them, but did was that was Jimmy Nichols playing with them covered big when, when they came over to you guys? To of course. Yeah, 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 of course. I mean, I was lucky enough. I was at the first show that he played, Ringo played when he uh, recovered oh. from being, being sick. So I saw I saw him. So that and, would be uh, June 15th. Okay, then that was my birthday then. Yay. Yeah, wow, nice gift. Um, uh, but, he, you know, he was there and, I mean, it was just bedlam. You yeah. know, the, the, the cliched... Uh, Passing bodies over overheads and uh, wet wet seats when the girls left, and all. I mean it was just <laughs> in, insanity. Yeah. And uh, they had a, you might you might have going to be to mention this, but they had a civic reception at the town hall. Yeah, and where, where they came up in the balcony and they waved for like two or three minutes, and I think the population of Melbourne at the time was probably a million and a half or something, and there were three hundred thousand people. That's amazing. Outside the town hall, so you know that that's uh, just a, an, an indication of uh, their 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 strength and their popularity. And I, I guess we're all kind of in the same boat. You know, you tell people these days about the effect that they had on everybody. They go, "Yeah, but you know, it was it wasn't like Michael Jackson. It wasn't like this." And you know, you tell them it wasn't like anything that's been seen since, even. So, you know, why do you think Australia? I mean. Out of all the countries, really, Australia's 
they really came out to see the Beatles, as you just mentioned, you know, see them outside and waving and stuff. But Australia, the numbers were so big. Did, well, you know, I think you guys the were there. So give us a background yeah. on it. Well, it was, you know, the bottom line is Australia is so far from anywhere um, and their popularity was so great. And I think, you know, people maybe thought I've got to go see him because they'll never come back again. You know, mm. they might have one and done in, in, uh, in their career. And, uh, you know, it's been so far to, to get there for any act. Yeah. Um, and I think that's part of the reason. But, you know, they uh, everybody was obsessed with them. They were selling. They stayed at the Southern Cross Hotel. And the, after they left, they were selling one-inch square sheets, uh, p- pieces, pieces of the sheets they slept on. I mean, it was just mind-boggling, you know. And they never did come back. No. Well, you know, I mean, I'm not saying obviously, but. Yeah. I also heard that the guy that took him there was a guy named Ken Brodziak. He was a promoter. And um, he did a deal, this is urban legend, that he paid uh, like $2,000 for eight shows. Wow. And <laughs> and when they got there, Brian Epstein being the gentleman that he was and a bit naive, uh, he said yeah. to Ken, you know, we're the biggest band in the world now. I can't, you can't... Uh, pay two grand for him because that's way way too little and yeah. uh, ken Brodjack said no i signed a contract with you before they were famous um and i'm going to honor that that contract so that was very uh, a very a cool thing for him to do yeah where, graham where did you see the beatles in 64 i saw them in nottingham my hometown in the local cinema in the odeon cinema wow. um and they were on a bill that they played a lot you know, in those days, there were a lot of art, Liverpool artists. There was, uh, I believe, Jerry and the Pacemakers, Billy J. Kramer, uh, Cilla Black uh, on the bill. There was like five or six artists. And, you know, I wanted to see the Beatles. And to get a ticket, you had to write in and put your name in a lottery. And a school friend of mine managed to get two tickets in the lottery and, and said, I want to take you. So I went. But there are all those other Liverpool artists and, um, you know, seeing them was like, I'd never experienced anything like it. You know, a cinema, maybe there's 400 people there <laughs> and it was just so loud and fans screaming. And But it just added to the euphoria. Um, I think they played for 20 minutes and when they came on, it was just crazy. And I'm sure they couldn't hear anything. You know, they were playing through those little Vox, well, Vox AC30s. So they wouldn't have heard anything. I don't think there was even PAs in those days. Maybe it was a Vox PA with two columns on either side. Um, But, you know, I mean, we've said this so many times, it just changed everything. And, of course, it changed the whole world, the way music is listened to. It was just different. Uh, It's hard to describe how it was, especially to someone that didn't, live through it or experience it. It's like Russell just said, you know, people talk about Michael Jackson and, and even Elvis and a few other great artists, but the Beatles was, it was different. There was something else going on, you know, uh, and it's really hard to describe, but I'm so fortunate to have lived through that and to have my formative years with the Beatles because that was everything to me. You know, I, I learned how to write songs from their songs and I learned how to play guitar and 
I played drums and, you know, it was just a, a learning curve. I went to the Beatles school of, of music, you know, and that's where I learned everything and, and still do, you know, you put a, you put a Beatles album on now, it doesn't matter which one, anyone. And it's just incredible. Yeah. There are no, in my opinion, there are no bad Beatles songs. Every, even the the weird ones, you know, like, like why don't we do it in the road or something? <laughs> it's, it's it's still a great song, you know. It is. It's it it's fun, you know. People sit there and they'll tell you Mr. Moonlight, the cover that they did, or but yeah. you know what? It's still the Beatles. And I always found that the I know this might sound sacrilegious, but I always found that the Beatles doing cover songs they covered them better than the originals. I always thought. I did yeah. too. I did too. Yeah, but, were, I just watched that Little Richard documentary. Yeah. on a plane recently, and you know, there's all those great songs that Little Richard wrote, and then McCartney sang a lot of those. But you're right, uh, and that's how they came up with "I'm Down" later. They wanted to write their own versions of songs, which "I'm Down," which is fabulous. And, but, yeah, you know, Long Tall Sally, Sally, and all those great songs. And yeah. and you and you probably saw that Little Richard still, you know, until he died. Said that he taught Paul how to do the. Woo, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that, I think that's part of the joke, but you know, it is. Yeah. So, yeah, how I did you end he... up in Australia to meet with Russell? I'm sorry, what was that again? How, how did you end up in Australia to meet with Russell in the course right. of well, Jesus Christ Superstar? I I immigrated when I was 17. You know, I was my parents were already there, my sister was already there, and. Uh, Nothing was going on for me musically. I was, I'd been in a band that was going nowhere and they were all playing cover songs, which I didn't want to do. And so I immigrated. And when I got there, I started to look for musicians to play with. And I did. Uh, but it, it wasn't until I got in Superstar that I managed to get a part that I thought, oh, great. That was the first time I really was getting a regular paycheck to be in a musical, you know, and for me, that was a big deal. But when, when I met Russell, I think I met Russell on the first day and uh, we were doing a dance, <laughs> we were learning how to do a dance routine and I, <laughs> I sprained my ankle, right? I think it was the first day, wasn't it? Yes, it was. But let me, let me interrupt just for a minute. When yeah. Graham, Graham's six foot four. <laughs> so when he, uh, when he fell, it was like a giant redwood just going. <laughs> Continue, mate. Yeah. And uh, I thought I'm out of the show. I twisted my ankle really badly. The first day I thought, oh, God, I'm out. They're going to get rid of me. Why would they want someone with a twisted ankle? But you know what? That wasn't the case. Russell helped me get over to a washing, two washing machines and dunk my foot in the hot water, then the cold. And they strapped my foot up. And within a couple of days, I was back doing, learning the dance routines, still hobbling around. But I was so surprised that they didn't fire me. And I thought, wow, this is it. So we were in. And, of course, Russell and I became really good friends. And by chance, Russell sat next to me in the men's chorus room where all the guys were. And he sat next to me. So we started to sing together. And... Uh, it just it just sounded really good from the very beginning, and people used to stop by our dressing room and listen to us when we were singing. Um, and sometimes it would be a, one of my songs or a Beatles song, you know. And we just sounded good, and we knew we did. 
and it just went from there. Plus, you know, we became really good friends and we had a lot in common. Uh, and, I, and we both wanted to do something after the show. So we knew we had 18 months or so to get something together because we wanted to work together afterwards and we wanted to earn some money. We didn't, I don't think either of us wanted to go back to what we were doing before, you know, having a regular day job that was uncertain. You know. what, what, what roles in Jesus Christ Superstar did you get? Uh, we were initially both in the chorus. So we were uh, apostles, lepers, merchants. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, we filled up the crowd scenes. But as the show progressed, we both uh, got to understudy. Uh, other, I mean, I understudied Jesus and Judas and Simon and Annas. Yeah. And, uh, and Graham understudied uh, Peter. Mm. Um and I think, so, I think yeah. I got to play Peter maybe three or four times, but it, it was really too high for me, you know, but I kind of tried to stretch it because I wanted to sing Peter because he had his own song, you know, with Mary. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but I got that. But Russell understood every male role except for Caiaphas and, and played them all several times. So they, they really made use of his, his great tenor voice. You know, he was in everything and, just amazing, you know. Now, you guys had once said, I'm not sure which one of you said it, but uh, you guys will set me straight. You said the Beatles are your only go-to group ever. That's a strong statement. Well, it's true for me. Yeah. But um, why? Well, uh, the stuff that we just mentioned. I mean, I, I, I've i never put on a Beatles record. Sorry about the reference to records, folks. That's um, okay. We have plenty of any of their songs without taking myself back to the moment. Uh, and I've, I've gained a much, a much better appreciation. I mean, I always thought Ringo was great, yeah. but I, you know, I was still in half of that school. It says, well, if it wasn't for them, he wouldn't be this. And, yeah. you know, and then I've listened to a bunch of their stuff in the last five years. And he was a phenomenal drummer. Oh, and the, mean... only, the only drummer that uh, was right for them. So, yeah, uh, and I and I don't listen to any any uh, contemporary music at all. I just uh, it it doesn't do anything for me, and right. uh, I feel like an old fuddy duddy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just don't care for it. But I can put myself in a great mood by listening to to uh, Beatles records. I can put myself if I'm feeling melancholy or a little depressed. You know, I'll play those kind of songs in my life and 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 stuff like that. Uh, there's a for me. There's a song for every occasion for my my mood and my psyche and psyche and uh, mm. I just you know I, I love them to death mm. to death I just mm. uh, I, I was home in Sydney when uh, John Lennon was killed and uh, of course I didn't know yeah. and uh, one of the DJs from a local station called me and, and said you know what do you think and I said well about what and he said you know John Lennon's been killed and I I, I couldn't uh, I couldn't couldn't handle it I said I can't talk. You know that those the effect of those things on me were far greater than anything uh, any any politician that was unfortunately uh, you know lost their lives too early. It, yeah. it, at that point, it, it uh, there was no comparison. You know. Mm. You know, and I have to ask you uh, because this would uh, probably uh, go more for you because in Australia. We had the Beatle cartoons here in, in the U.S. They were very big. They were made for uh, 
Graham, you wouldn't have seen them because uh, Ryan Epstein said he didn't want them shown in the UK. But in Australia, a lot of them were done in Australia. Did you guys, yeah. did you get to see it, you know, Russell, the Beatle cartoons when you're when you're a kid? Yeah, I did. You know, if there was anything with Beatle on it, uh, I I saw it or watched it or bought it or whatever. Yeah. So, and they they were cute, you know, as I remember. Yeah. That was a long time ago. Did you see him, Graham? Yeah, I saw him later on though. Yeah, in in yeah. Australia, but you're right. They didn't play anything like that, but certainly in the UK before I left. But I think I that was, yeah, I think that was the beginning of, you know, so many things like a cartoon you know then the monkeys came out late and they had a similar thing it was yeah. the beginning it was uh expanding horizons for artists well for the beatles you know having merchandise so before that nobody had merchandise it was you know and then you had beatles everything beatles lunch bags so it was the beginning of something of everything and and they were just the innovators of that or their manager brian yeah. or whatever but uh it's it's so funny you know to about that whole thing the the one thing that resounds with me is uh you know at, at that point i don't think either of the beatles musically were like profound musicians but what they created together was profound and the songs were the best they were just the best songs of of any generation you know and i love uh, Rogers and Hammerstein and things like that, great songs. But the Beatles just eclipse everything, you know. And it's, as I said earlier, every song is just incredible. But also, they didn't write uh, in one genre. They didn't say, oh, I'm going to write this or I'm going to write that. It, you can tell it just happened organically. Like, you know, one minute they, they came up with a song like uh, Revolution or uh, you know, Michelle. Yeah. Totally different. Totally different. They couldn't be further apart. Uh, and it's just incredible. And for a songwriter like me, who's a novice, you listen, you go, oh, my God, you know, wow, it's overwhelming. But there's a lot to learn from that. And I tried to learn what they were doing, uh, but more, more their intuitive process, you know. People, I've heard on the radio recently, I was listening in the U.S., to a radio show, and they were trying to dissect uh, a song, one a Beatles song. I can't remember which one it was. And they were saying, oh, yeah, if you dissect it, he did this and he did that. Then he tried this. But, you know, I don't believe any of that. I think all their songs were probably written in half an hour. And they <laughs> I don't think any thought went into it. Um, they didn't try to do anything. They just did it because it was inherent in their process. They just did it without thinking about it. And I really believe that. So when people try and dissect it and try to analyze everything, they're barking up the wrong tree. They're missing the whole point. Yeah. They, and I go, ah, guys, you're missing it. You know, you're missing the beauty of everything, of something that just happens, just like that. There's no reason for it. There's no explanation. And that should be good enough, you know, the end result. You know, my, my favorite Beatles song, is uh, if I felt, and people will say, "Oh no, there's so many more better ones." Now. But it was one the first song, not the first song of theirs I listened to, but it was the first song that captivated me. It's just so beautiful, and the two part harmony of John and Paul, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And even now I listen to it, and it just sends me off into the atmosphere. 
Just yeah. such a simple song, but so beautiful, you know. And wow, that's what really gets me. It, you know, it never would, ends. You know, that wouldn't be a bad song for you guys to cover. <laughs> I don't know if we, you have. We did. Right? We did. We did. We recorded it. I have it somewhere. And it was a great version. But when we tried to get the license for it, it was going to cost a fortune. Yeah. Really? Like, yeah. And so we said, God, what a bummer. We don't. We don't want to do it. It's going to cost us like so many thousands of dollars to do it. But we do it have it. <laughs> I think it was. I think it was thirty thousand dollars. That one. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got it here on my computer, and we finished it, didn't we? We. Yep. It was the way they did it. Was just guitar and Russell and my vocal. Yeah. Got to come out on a bootleg at some point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah I'm sure. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll help you. We'll help you spread it around. I've got to interrupt you for a second. Good. Uh, Talking about what I bought these. Uh, oh, the those are the chew bops. Yeah, these are uh, the gum. chewing gum. Oh, all, is it gum? All their yeah, albums. Gum. Yeah, yeah. Those yeah. are all the U.S. albums. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're not opened. No, <laughs> I wouldn't open it now and chew the gum though. No. I'll take the. I was going to say I'll send you some gum if you'd like, but I'll keep the gum. <laughs> Did you no, get them recently, or have you had them for a while? I bought them in like '72 or something. Yeah, I think they were a little oh. later in the 80s, but they, they were so cool. Oh, well. No, you know what, though? They were so cool seeing the mini albums. Yeah, uh, I loved them. I bought them. I never ate them. I have the same thing you have, you know, on uneaten gum. Uh, where do you guys start with the Beatles albums where you start to buy them and, um, and, and say, okay, I, I really like this and I'm a Beatles fan? Where, where does that start for you guys? Well, I, um, as I said, the, the guy I went to school with, he played me. Uh, gave me a I don't I think it was she loves you one of those and uh, I was instantly captured you know and and as I said from that moment on anything that had Beatles on it or sounds recordings I I wanted them um and I was just I mean I drove my parents and my sister crazy because uh you know they, they were and I as Graham uh said about his music uh kind of passed before them my dad was a singer with a big band in in Melbourne and we listened to Frank Sinatra and Tony Bennett, and mm. there was a very famous lady, Julie London. Oh, um, Julie London, of course. Oh, you know those, and I loved good. I loved great singers, um, and of course, you know my my parents. Uh, my parents were cool, actually, but my mother was one of eight kids, and my aunts and uncles kept on telling me what a load of trash they were, and their hair was too long, and you know, and yeah. uh, like, of course, we all ignored that because. They were the greatest thing since sliced bread when they when they uh, re released records or did anything. I mean, uh, we uh, of course we I sat up for the uh, all you need is love thing. I think it was at four o'clock in the morning mm. in, in Australia that world uh, you know broadcast. I mean yeah. anything. I just wanted anything that was Beatles. Of course, yeah. then I, my hair was uh, starting to get curly, and uh, I I wanted that Beatles thing, but I couldn't do that. Did you have a Beatles cut, dude? Uh, I tried to, but my hair wouldn't go there either, you know. <laughs> I mean, I, I always had a crew cut when I was at school and, and, and young. But, you know, plus I, I didn't have the money to buy Beatle boots or to be, yeah, buy the Beatle jacket or anything. But I saved up and did odd jobs to buy uh, Please Please Me, the first album. And and after that, I... I uh, I bought uh, with the Beatles in, in England. It was called with the Beatles yeah. and um, which had all my loving on and all those great songs. And it's Incredible. like, Oh wow. 
wow, you know, <laughs> amazing. I mean, it's, yeah. it's hard to think about it, but uh, you know, once again, I'm I feel so privileged to have grown up with that. Had I not grown up with that, well, as I said, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But uh, it's just amazing, you know. You know, uh, when you I was no slouch either, though, because at one point you tied the Beatles' record of having, you know, seven straight top five singles. That must have been kind of cool. It it was cool, although I think the Beatles had them all at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it doesn't matter. I mean, to, to be to be in the same sentence as the Beatles is a great thrill for us. Uh, I mean, we're not anywhere near anything that they've achieved, but uh, you know. But uh, I, I would I would say that's not true. I mean, you know, to you're in a different genre. You know, the '80s versus the '60s. Um, yeah. So you know, you. I mean, not that I have to blow smoke up your asses because you guys are no. You know, you probably have enough gold and platinum on the wall that you know this already. But, you know, come on. I mean, I listened to the greatest hits again this morning. And, oh, I, you, yeah. you know, you can't, you know, every single word of every single song. So, yeah. and, you know, for, for many people, Air Supply is the same as the Beatles, you know? Um, well, that's a great thing to say. I don't know if I agree with you, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I think we we've we left our mark on on music history certainly sure. and when we're gone i think you know some of the songs will, will be around but if you think about the beatles uh i mean it's 60 years ago and and you hear a song today and it's like as as fresh as it ever was but by the same token when i put on some of our you know lost in love all out of love making love out of nothing at all i mean they're great records and yeah. Uh, I, I'm always a big fan of that. And I always say, yeah, these are great records. Uh, and they'll go through time as great records. So I'm very, very flattered and honoured that people uh, agree with that. And I, I certainly do, you know. Yeah. As, as guys who actually were went through the Beatle time in real time, meaning that you had to wait seven months for a record or eight months, um, let's start off. I want to start off with Revolver and move on because – Revolver, starting with Revolver, things are a little different than She Loves You or Please Please Me. I was wondering what yeah. both of you thought of the albums from Revolver on, because there is sort of a, a line in the sand on on what they were doing. They're still pop music, but it's it sounds yeah. different. There's very mm. speed vocals, as you know, yeah. back to tapes. I'd like to know how you guys, as fans and listeners in real time, because when I came along as a Beatles fan, it was in the 70s, so you buy all the records at once, and then you listen to them. It's not the same. So I'd like to get your impression of starting from Revolver on. Well, you know, I, uh, on first hearing, I was blown away because, as you said, it was totally different from anything before. And, um, of course, reading stuff that you read about now, about the recording process and uh, techniques used or whatever that was very innovative and uh, experimental um it just was you know i, I really could, couldn't comprehend uh some of the sounds on that at all and uh, I, I was and i'm not a songwriter or a record man or anything but i i was always uh fascinated with how did they get that sound and you know it's just something that no no one had ever heard before mm. revolver sounded different uh sonically it sounded different I don't know how to describe it, but you're right. It was so far away from the She Loves You, Please Please Me sound. It was totally different. 
you know, um, songs like Here, There and Everywhere, which just blew me away. And a key change, they go to the bridge and they, they change the kids. Like, oh, wow, it's just beautiful. But it sounded different. Uh, and I think each album was different. And so kudos to Brian Ep Epstein, because he obviously engineered all that and was the guy behind it. But I think at the point at that time, the Beatles had had so much success and they wanted to do something different. And they felt they could experiment and begin experimenting with slowing tapes down. And you've got to remember, too, I think uh, at that point, they were still recording on four track machines. They were. They were. Revol was Revolver maybe in an eight track, but. No, it was a four track, so was Pepper. Pepper it was, was four track too. Yeah. But the, the later albums were on a four track too. Yes. So that's incredible. You know, when people think about that now, when people are making albums now, as included, you use about 80 tracks and they had four. And and they did everything live. And it's like, oh my God, how did they do it? You know. But it it was an un unknown territory that they wanted to explore. And and they did it incredibly, you know. And, and what about Sergeant Pepper? Because that's uh that's a milestone for musicians and non-musicians. You know, it, it, it's a time changer if you think about it. What did you guys yeah. think of it as as a record at the time? Because it's totally different, What, yeah. even more well, different I, than Revolver. I remember finding out it was going to be uh, available in stores. And uh, I, I think I was m maybe first or second in line, which went around the block several times. Okay. And uh, I, uh, I, obviously I was very young, so I... I had to walk to the store and ran home and my sister had the only record player in the house and it was a stereo record player, a box with the speakers facing yeah. on the sides. Right. And uh, as soon as the thing started with the overture and, and uh, you know, I mean, here we go again, concept album, uh, mm. first have lyrics on it, uh, you know, you name it. Sounds once again were phenomenal, you know, Mr. Kite, unbelievable sounds um and george's influence again with uh his indian stuff uh you know things that people had never never heard before um and yeah. i couldn't couldn't get enough of that certainly yeah the songs especially on sergeant pepper they just kept getting better and better and you would i would say to myself there can't be any better songs than on this record but of course the albums after that were even better it's like God, where does it end? You know, but Sergeant Peppers was, I mean, you, you can't listen to that album without listening to the whole thing. You know, you, I put it on and you go, okay, that's a, the beginning, the, the Sergeant Peppers. Then you want to listen to everything yeah, with a little help from my friends. And oh my God, it just never ends. Well, that's just the problem. With, that's the big problem. And I want to ask you a different question, but you brought up something very interesting because now there's, you know, there's no such things as records anymore. As, as and Russell, you mm. apologize for records, but, uh, but quite frankly, you know, you people don't have the the same experience. You you go on Spotify, you can pick and choose, but instead of having to listen to six songs and pick your butt up and and turn the record over and then listen to the other part, it's a different mm. experience for for kids nowadays. It is. It's totally a different experience that they missed out on. You know. Yeah. Uh, but I'm sure there are other things that they enjoy just as much as we did with the albums. But you're right. It's it's holding something in your hands and s listening to the album and looking at the cover and the concept 
yeah. and the liner notes while you're listening to those songs. That was everything. And, you know, you, you would play the album, turn it over, and you would keep playing it for hours. Until at the end of that particular session, you would know every song backwards. You know all the lyrics, you know what's going on, and it just became your favorite album. But you're right, with uh, Spotify now, it's, you know, you can listen to anything, but everybody predominantly listens to a song, or I'm going to download that song or listen to that song. But it's such a different experience. I, I don't have Spotify. I don't get on Spotify at all. I'm not into that vibe, you know. Uh, yeah. But that but that's because we're, we're a lot older than most people. But um, but that yeah. is, it's a different time, different industry now, you know. Yeah. And I'm sure in the next five, ten years, it'll change again. But be, because of that, we decided about ten months ago uh, that we were going to make another album, which may be our last, who knows. But we decided, and we record live, like the old school, but we decided, yeah, we wanted to make another album like the Beatles used to make, and it's going to be vinyl, and it's going to have a, a concept. So that's what we decided to do. Because if it is the last one, we want to have have it have some like a legacy to leave, you know. If indeed it is the last album, we want to do it how we want to do it, you know. Hmm. I wanted to ask you the. Um, by the way, is that a scoop? <laughs> I think it is. Yeah. Okay. Oh, right. yeah. It is cool. now. <laughs> well, that, that's kind of cool. Thank you. I wanted to ask you, your the Air Supply's heyday was smack in the middle of the Beatles' solo period, all four mm. of them. Um, did you still follow them, you know, or were you just too busy with your own careers? And, because now they were not only, you know, your idols, so to speak, but now they are your competition for airplay. <laughs> well, I, I don't think I considered us competition to them, certainly at all. Well, um, solo-wise. Yeah, and I must admit, though, I didn't, uh, um, I mean, I was really, and this is no uh, exaggeration, I was heartbroken when they broke up, Yeah, um, mm. as I'm sure a lot of people were. So um, I didn't pay that much attention. And also, uh, we were, as you said, in the middle of it, in fact, we, we used to be on a bus then for, you know, 10 months a year. And um, we would do the show and, and get on the bus to travel overnight somewhere. And after the first couple of, uh, well, first two or three hits we had, this is from my perspective, um, you know, we, we had a guy on the bus that used to, you know, get stuff for us and, uh, you know, coffee or glass of wine or whatever. And uh, he would he'd rush to the front lounge and go, Wow, even nights of bed is number eight on the you know billboard charts. Yeah, and and I used to go, that's that's great. Can you get me a beer? You know, we, <laughs> we we didn't. I mean, I didn't. Uh, have, we didn't really have time to stop and appreciate what we were doing right. then, mm-hmm. uh, because we were wrapped up in you know that yeah. touring schedule then was unbelievably difficult physically. Um, so I, I pretty much didn't really uh, listen to a lot of outside things. Um, mm. You know snippets I, I i loved all things must pass i, I must admit um and of course paul's early stuff was was great but i didn't really uh have the attachment because there weren't four of them together you know yeah. they were they were uh, they'd gone off yeah. into the universe on their own you know but you still yeah. must have you know been aware of what they were doing oh absolutely absolutely yeah yeah i mean the whole thing you know john 
John and Yoko's uh, journey to get married in Gibraltar and couldn't get this and couldn't get into that. And I mean, I, mm. I used to, any time I saw that mentioned or somebody said, by the way, did you read, you know, this? Now, of course, with the, the internet being what it is, it's in your face every day, no matter what they do. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I used to, I used to certainly follow them because you had to, but not, not as intently as the Beatles, of course. But what was amazing was even, you know, when John Lennon did his first solo albums and Paul did them too, the songs were still amazing, even though they were on their own and they were yeah. calling each other names, the legend has it. <laughs> but, but songs like Baby I'm Amazed and then John's Imagine and yeah. wow, you know, so they were, they were doing it. So I think we were lucky uh, as human beings when they were together writing together, which I don't think they wrote that much together. It was always always individual but together i think we were very fortunate to have those years when they did you know because it, for me everything's all about the song and the songs and they just weren't any better songs and i must say i don't think there is today either you know i'm i love songs but i don't hear a lot of songs today that i go and people say oh you should listen to this or have you heard this and i'll go listen i go ah you know this it does i'm not moved like I used to be with with the Beatles individually or together, you know. When you write, uh, you know, John said one thing about uh, there's only so many notes you can use. He said this, I believe, in 75. He's talking about when he got sued for coming yeah. together. When when you write, do you, you know, sometimes nick things and, you know, it's it's nicked so well we don't know it, but you do, uh, of Beatles stuff? <laughs> uh because I can well, see I'm, that. I mean, you know, yeah. it's understandable. Yeah, I'm heavily influenced by the Beatles. I mean, I really am in, in all my writing. And sometimes, and even on this new album, I'll, in the studio, I'll say, is this two Beatles? Because, you know, I'm, I'm doing th not doing things that they did. I'm doing it in my way. Uh, in fact, there's a, there's a new song that we, we're going to do in September. And it's, it's very Beatles, you know. And I, our producer, Brian, I say, is, is this too much? And he goes, well, no, not, not at all. People don't hear that, you know, but I'm so influenced by them. I, sometimes I'm a bit careful uh, because, you know, there, there are only eight notes, you know, and the Beatles uh, have a certain way of writing their songs and I'm kind of familiar with it. And I don't use those same things, but I use my version of it simply because that's how people write songs, you know. And, but and what, what I... What I love about those two in particular is they have no musical background or no musical knowledge, and and I love that, and and that's why everything they do it comes from a different place uh, that that I haven't experienced with any other artist since then. And, and what about uh, you guys' harmonies? You guys have a unique harmony sound. Um, you know, it, it, I'm sure it's not just the Beatles. I'm sure Everly Brothers might be in there or some other acts. Yeah. But um, harmony on a song, it does make it a lot better when it works right. Can you describe a song of two of yours that worked harmony-wise that maybe, maybe is Beatlesque a little bit at the same time? Well, Probably lost, the... lost in Love, certainly, yeah. you know. Uh, there's a little bit of if, if I Fell There on Lost in Love, you know, and it's a simple two-part harmony that we, um, you know, We've never we never planned who's going to sing what or what part. We've never done that. 
we just sing it. And, you know, if I bring a new song, Russell, listen, and he'll go, oh, yeah. Uh, and he'll start singing something with it if I'm singing the demo. And we just go from there. So it's totally organic, you know. We never <laughs> plan anything. But you're right. I used to love the Everly Brothers before I got into the Beatles. And I think the Beatles did too. They did. Yeah. yeah. They were incredible. Yeah. Just super yeah. close, tight harmonies. Yeah, it's great. Absolutely. They, they well, toured so together, right? Well, the, Everly, the Everly Brothers uh, toured with the Beatles, right? Did they? Mm. I think, I'm not sure if they toured with them. I, I think the Beatles saw them <laughs> when they went, they played in the UK. Yeah. 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 I don't think they toured with them, but there was a definite influence by by the oh, Beatles. Oh, yeah. Or yeah, from yeah, the Beatles on, the, from the Everly, yeah. The, uh, you guys were asked to be on a Beatles tribute album. And, and you chose the long and winding road. <laughs> Incidentally, one of Rob's favorite songs. I kid because it's not, not. not really. I love that song. But why did you guys choose that one out of everything to do on the tribute album? Well, that came about with a, a friend of ours, Billy Sherwood. Um, he he's been around a long, long time. In fact, his brother Michael played with us for quite some years until he sadly passed. Um, and I, um, well, I, I know that Billy said he was doing a Beatles tribute and he wanted us to participate. And he actually chose the song. Okay. Um, it was as simple as that. And I mean, who's going to say, sorry, Billy, I don't like that song. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. It was a number one hit in the States. And, and as much as, you know, Mitch jokes that I don't like the song, I don't. But I also don't like what Phil Spector did to it a lot more than the actual song because. I like yeah. Paul's version when he did it live with Wings. I like the version yeah. that doesn't have all the Phil Spector strings on it. Yeah. Which Paul does too. So I liked when you guys, when you did the song, you know, it wasn't as heavy as the Phil Spector arrangement. Yeah. So I, I, I didn't mind it as much. It's I, it's not the song I hate as much as the overproduction that Phil Spector yeah. did on that yeah. song. produced by Phil Spector. Yeah, I believe, I believe that Paul didn't like it. He didn't like Phil. No, Spencer. no, he sued them as part of his lawsuit. That was part of the lawsuit. That yeah, well, he does, yeah. But John, <laughs> John liked it. That was when a fissure had already come between John and Paul because yes, John, John yeah. liked it. But it, it sounds like it was Paul's song predominantly, actually. It was, it was, it was. Yeah, yeah. but, uh, you know, once again, regardless of it, which version, either the naked one, uh, the acoustic one, the one with the full-on production, they're all great because it's a great song, just classic song. I mean, how many how many songs do you need to write that are classic and will be around forever? They've had hundreds, and it's yeah, like standards. It, it boggles your mind. It's like, oh my god! <laughs> you know, wow. you you guys just did, uh, and you guys sell out shows everywhere. And we're gonna we're gonna give the website uh, where people could go and. And check out the whole tour. As I said, you're, you're going to be playing in our backyard in early August at Westbury Music Fair, uh, or the NYCB oh. Theater now. Uh, at Westbury. Corporate is yeah, yeah. at Westbury. Thank you, Rob. <laughs> um, but um, I, so we'll we'll get into that in a second. I and we're running out of time, but I just wanted to uh, you you guys just played Mexico and and two things in your encore. You play a Badfinger song, which most people mm. equate with Harry Nilsson. Without yeah. you, which you guys did on your album The Earth Is. Yeah, uh, I want to ask you about without you, and then you ended. You had you hadn't done it the whole tour, but you did it in Mexico. You ended with all you need is love. Yeah, well, we do. Yeah, we do that every night. Oh, you do. Yeah, that's yeah. the play out, play out music for the for the end of the show. 
Okay. So yes, I yes. want to ask you about without you. How did, I mean, first of all, do you have to wear a special truss in order to sing no, that note at the end? Because <laughs> right. when I, when I've tried to sing and I have to have someone backstage kick me in certain areas so I can, I can reach those notes. But, uh, <laughs> well, my, I mean, my, my private ahead. parts, my private parts are still intact. Thank you. <laughs> um, you know, I remember Good. Harry Maslin produced that, right? G? He did. Yeah. And uh, he, he called me and uh, he said, how would you feel about uh, recording without you? And I, w I said, what do you mean recording without me? <laughs> right. Yeah. No, no, idiot, without you. And yeah. uh, I remember specifically we, we recorded the vocal at Capitol Records in okay. Los Angeles in the studio that Frank Sinatra used to use mm -hmm. for vocals. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we were the track they was played and I listened to it a few times and uh, this is a really weird experience for me and everything went black around me. I couldn't see through the control room, anything. It was just me and the microphone and the track and uh, we did it in one pass and mm. that's a rarity but, uh, I mean, I love I love the version and I love the way, I mean, I don't pat myself on the back very often mm. but uh, that, that was a really good vocal, that's for sure and mm. a beautiful song, you know. Yeah, it is. You yeah. still do it really well. I've I've been watching you know a lot of YouTube videos. You you still do it really really well. So that I kudos to that because I I I know as I've gotten older and tried to sing stuff, it 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 just doesn't happen. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's a great you know it's a great it's a classic song and the story behind it is is traumatic. You know, yeah. and, and so the whole story of it is 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 a great is a great. <clears> thing. Yeah, we don't try to talk about uh, Mariah Carey's version. You, know, we, we talk about Badfinger and we talk about Harry Nielsen. Other than that, and your version, uh, we'll leave yeah. Ms. Oh, Ms. Carey out there. Well, Harry, <laughs> Harry's family accepted the money, so don't don't. Oh yeah, yeah, that, that. that's that's very true. <laughs> yeah. that, that's the only good thing about that. Uh, Let me I, tell I you. Know where, uh, oh, can I just tell you another story real quick? Sure, sure. We were in London and we were recording an album there, and uh, the producer, uh, what was his name? Do you remember, Graham? Uh, no, Peter, somebody anyway, Peter Collins, Peter Collins. There you go. And uh, it was, I don't know, two o'clock in the morning. And I had a, a flat, uh, just cl very close to Harrods for those of you who know London. Yeah. And uh, he called me at two, two in the morning and he said, You've got to listen to this song. Um, so I went over to his place and he played a Jennifer Rush version of The Power of Love. Wow, and I was blown away. And I called Graham and I said, we have to do this song. It's going to be the, mm. one of the biggest things we ever had. Mm. So we recorded the song and it sounded awesome. It sounds awesome. And Ariston thought it was too long and they cut some of it out. And it was just so, so, so tragic. And it was released the same time as Huey Lewis's Power of Love. Ah. So the mm. titles were in competition with each other. And, of course, it didn't do anything. And then I don't know how many years later, Celine Dion released her version exactly the same as ours instrumentation arrangements everything and bless her heart you know she had a worldwide hit with it and i was so pissed i still am um that you know we our version should have should have would have could have but uh, it was a, a, a an awesome it is an awesome song with a great arrangement you know yeah yeah the the version we the jennifer of version because there were four four people that wrote, wrote the song she was one of them and they'd only done a demo so we listened to the demo and they they promised they wouldn't release it or record it, and that's why we said, okay, we'll do it. But 
they released that demo and it became the biggest song in England ever. I'm sure <laughs> since then it's been big. There are other ones. But, you know, we once they released it, then everybody else released a version. We said no. And we didn't play it for 20 years. We haven't played it now for yeah. another 10 years. So maybe 30 yeah. years we haven't played it, you know. <laughs> well, I, I want to thank you guys, but I want to ask you one last question. Uh, have you had any experiences with the Beatles themselves individually? Um, I, I know you, I know, Graham, you're a huge Paul fan and, I'm, and I want to get mm. into that, but uh, any experiences meeting the Beatles at all? I met Ringo when we were rehearsing at SIR. Uh, this was this was around the time of the LA riots. I'm not sure when that was, in the 90s or something. 92. 92. 92. 92. And Ringo was rehearsing his all-star band with Joe Walsh and a few other people. Yeah. And the guy that, the manager of SIR in LA came to me because he knew we were Beatles fans. And um, and he said, you know, Ringo's going to be here in, in a bit. And I said, oh, really? And he says, yeah, I'll, I can, I'll hook you up. So Ringo came and he knocked on our rehearsal door. I don't know if you were there, mate. I don't I don't know why you oh, were there. I was. Yeah. And, and he came on. And, and, he, I, and I hate you for that, too. <laughs> right, yeah. And he said, you, Ringo said, are you Graham? And I said, yeah. He said, hello, Graham. And uh, I, I sh and Joe Walsh was with him, so I met Joe Walsh too. But I should have got a picture, but I was so, I was shaking. And I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, this is Ringo Starr. <laughs> and so that was the only experience I've had meeting Ringo. But uh, it was incredible. But you're right, I'm, I'm a big Paul fan because he's the greatest songwriter that ever was. So, but, you know, we've always wanted to meet Paul, but I don't know if it's going to happen. We'll see. Well, you know what? If, if hopefully, you know, we are, we. I'm going to pat myself and ourselves on the back and say we are uh, pretty huge worldwide. So uh, hopefully, uh, we will be able to. Well, Paul's now getting into the podcasting field, so maybe he'll uh, listen to the show <laughs> as on how to do one. You know? yeah. <laughs> I wonder. Nice. I wonder if someone like Paul listens to all the Beatles things going on. I wonder if he does. Probably not, because you know, uh, I think, quite frankly. You know, he's got he's as Ringo said the other day, talking about the new Beatles song, so to speak, uh, that was just announced coming out. Uh, Ringo said, you know, after 30 years of not working on it, when they did the anthology, uh, they said, how come how come, you know, you guys are doing it now? And Ringo said, because Paul was probably having a slow day. So yeah. He never oh, stopped. <laughs> yeah. You know? I mean, he's That's 81. Funny. God bless him. He never stops. And yeah. so, who knows? But. Let's hope I, you guys get to uh, actually well, meet him. I, I do have one more question. You guys have been together forever. You're great friends. Um, one thing about the Beatles is that great friends can become not friends for a while. What have you guys done? And did you look at the Beatles and say, well, we're not going to do that, that you've stayed friends all these years? Well, we, right. we don't, well, first of all, there's no we don't work at anything together. I mean, it is what it is. And it's uh, it's it's an incredible friendship that nobody really – can understand. I mean, Graham uh, typically in the show says we've never had an argument. Sometimes there's silence. Sometimes people laugh. Sometimes people go, "Oh yeah," but that's the truth. I mean, we've 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 always had very defined roles within within Air Supply. I, I can't write songs. I couldn't write one to save my life. <laughs> and uh, Graham really doesn't want to be, you know, the front guy. Um, and you know, on every level. Uh, in fact. 
Graham said there were a lot of coincidences the day we met. Uh, there are so many that it's, you know, really silly. Um, our backgrounds, both working class from England and Australia. So we understood that upbringing. Um, you know, of course, the, the, the obsession was the Beatles. Um, we had the same taste in movies and food and our birthdays are four days apart, three days apart. Um, you know, everything that could be the, the universe could align for us happened. And we don't we don't question it. I mean, it's just it is it is what it is. And it's very spooky that it is. No, that's yeah. important because you said it. You know, you you don't write songs, but you know that Graham does. That's an important thing because there's a competition there about what songs get on the the A side or the B side or on the record mm-hmm. itself. There's also yeah. more money made from songwriting. There's, but at the yeah. same time, if Graham doesn't want to be the front guy and you're great at it, then it it works very well. I mean, that's an that's an important thing, and a lot a lot of bands mm-hmm. don't have that. They don't realize it in the beginning, and then it spreads yeah. apart. Well, you know, yeah. I, I think I think two bands, people in bands, that there's ego and there's competition between certain members in general, and they all, and I think a lot of people think they're a lot better, they're a lot greater than they actually are. But with with us, it's the combination, you know, um, you know, I I love writing songs, and Russell doesn't write songs, and, and that's okay, uh, because I do, I love writing songs more than anything else, and. And I, I consider it my job, if we're making a record, it's my job to come up with the songs and to create that thing for us to to move forward, you know. But at the same time, Russell is, is the lead singer. He's the focal point in the band. And I love that because I don't want to be that. In fact, when, you know, I don't really care about being introduced during the show, but uh, <laughs> we do that now for the first time in yeah. decades. Yeah, but- and, and it's okay, you know. I, I just like to be the guy uh, that nobody knows about, you know. Wait, wait, how, how does a six foot four <laughs> redwood tree not get noticed <laughs> on the stage? You know, on the on the point of ego, I mean, can you imagine when the Beatles became famous, four guys that were as individually talented as they were, yeah. and that must have been something else to be around too because obviously, I mean, we have an ego to get on stage you have to yeah and i can't imagine some of that you know some of the stuff and i'm uh, on hindsight just having this discussion i'm quite surprised there wasn't more conflict uh that we heard yeah. about anyway with the beatles well, and you know you, you kept mentioning brian epstein until he dies he's sort of oh uh, yeah he keeps a lot of things together for the, for the four of them they trusted him outright and they didn't worry about a lot of things until he passed so yeah yeah that's you know, yeah yeah, so so where can people find out all about the tour? Because you guys are are always on tour. Don't you guys do like 180 dates a year? We do 130. That's enough. Who, who's counting? <laughs> so where, where can people find the uh, the website and uh, the, so they can see you on you know get the tickets, see where they're playing next when you yeah. guys are playing. It's airsupplymusic.com is uh, our and, site, and, and of course we're all over Facebook. I'm Air Supply Music, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. AirSupplyMusic.com. And you guys are going to be touring uh, pretty much the rest of the year, right? Well, pretty <laughs> yeah, much we are. Of, pretty much the rest <laughs> of our lives, really. <laughs> the rest of your lives. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's hope it's a long time coming. I, well, one more thing, Graham. Uh, you know, we're looking at uh, Russell right now, and he, he's tatted out on his entire body. Do you yeah. have any tattoos? I or don't. Or just no, Russell? I, I'm not a tattoo person. I don't know why. I'm just... 
you know, that's one of the differences that Russell and I have. Russell likes all that. And that's great. I think that's his and nature. Russell, Russell's got some great tattoos, man. I mean, hey, I, I didn't expect track, it, to be right? honest with you. So no, it looks opposites, opposite that's the track. That's well, the guys, it, this has been an incredible blast. Uh, I, we really appreciate you being on. We wish you incredible success uh, with the tour and continued success. And and please, when you uh, when the album does come out, we'd love to have you on again. And um, I would love that. Yeah, and hopefully we'll uh, we'll see you in. in I'm going to still say Westbury. I don't care. Uh, hopefully yeah. we'll see you there. <laughs> and uh, and again, we really appreciate it. So for this episode, uh, exciting and really really exciting episode. Uh, I have been your moderator, Mitch Axelrod, and joining me has been my friend, Rob Leonard. Thank you. And have a, you know, a, a blast listening to this people. Thank you so much, Graham and Russell. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Thank guys. you so much. It's a pleasure right. talk, talking with you and Thank you. especially talking about the Beatles. It's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much. Fab Four Free For All was edited and produced by Tony Triguardo at Word of Mouth Studios in Westbury, New York. The opening and closing theme is My Dolly by the band The Badge, featuring longtime listener Jeff Slate, available on its debut album Digital Retro and recent Best Of compilation, as well as from the Fab Four Free For All website. Thanks for listening to Fab Four Free For All.